0: God, Heavenly Father, abundant in power and glory and majesty. I just pray, O Heavenly Father, that you would feed us this morning with the bread of heaven. Father, show yourself most glorious in this assembly of your children here today. May our worship be a worship that's unrestrained and unfettered by any carnality, by anything that would be fleshly. but but may it be only by your Spirit empowering and energizing your people so that we might worship thee in spirit and in truth. O God, send the fire this morning. Anoint the tongue with a coal from off the altar and make this fire hot and make it most glorious for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And thank you for bearing with me on that pitch. I want you to turn with me this morning, if you will, to the 22nd chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 22. I'll read the first 19 verses of this chapter. Very familiar passage. We have even focused on it a little while the other morning in our morning devotions. Genesis 22, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said... Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, "...my father." And he said, "...here am I, my son." And he said, "...behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering?" And Abraham said, "...my son, God will provide Himself a lamb for a burnt offering." So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. The title of this message this morning is very obvious. It's found there in the 14th verse. Jehovah Jireh. notice in that verse, as we look at that verse, at the conclusion of the verse, it says something like this. It is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. You and I this morning want to be in the mount of the Lord. We want to be there where Jehovah is. We want to be seen there. We want Him to see us there. We want Others to see us there, we want to be there with Him and be seen with Him and to be accounted as one of His faithful children and disciples. Now, we've been speaking for the last couple of days about names of God. You'll recognize that Jehovah is only one of the names of God. In that hymn that we sang just a couple of hymns back, we sang about other names of God. Elohim is one of the Hebrew names of God. Shaddai is another Hebrew name of God, but we're thinking especially this week in this series of messages about Jehovah. And there are various hyphenated names describing this Jehovah God that we serve. There are at least eight of them that are portrayed for us in Scripture. We're only looking at about five of them this week. When you see in your Bible, and I suppose perhaps all of you know this, but when you see in your Bible the word LORD in all capital letters, that is signifying that it is speaking about Jehovah. LORD with a capital L and lowercase O-R-D is speaking about something else, not Jehovah. And so as you look at these passages and you see that word LORD in all caps, pop out to you, you should understand immediately that this is referencing Jehovah God. Jehovah Jireh, the 14th verse of Genesis chapter 22, tells us that God will provide. The Lord will provide. You'll find a a similar reference to that earlier on in this chapter as it speaks about the provision of the lord and so as we as we try to hold before us the blessing of jehovah jireh this morning we ought to understand that it's speaking about the provision of god the abundant marvelous provision of jehovah jehovah jireh emphasizes to us that he provides for us he provides for his children I want to just walk through, as we've been doing the last couple of mornings, through this passage of Scripture. I want to pick out some key thoughts and just dwell a little while upon those key thoughts. Those thoughts are at least key to me, it seems. As we think about Abraham, Abraham was the friend of God. Abraham is a man that just inspires all of us, no doubt. Abraham was the father of the faithful. Abraham is an individual that we look to and emulate as we try to aspire to those godly characters that are portrayed for us in the pages of Holy Writ. I want to think about three different things that Abraham did as he approached the mount that God told him to go to. I want to look, first of all, at how Abraham presented himself to God. Secondly, I'd like to look at how Abraham prepared himself for God. And thirdly, I'd like to look at how Abraham must have propelled himself by God. And then we'll look at God's provision of himself for Abraham. That kind of gives you some perspective of where we'd like to take this message this morning. In the very first verse of this passage, you'll find that Abraham is presenting himself to God, especially in those last three words. When he says, Here I am. God came and spoke to him. And the Bible says that Abraham said, Behold, here I am. You'll notice elsewhere in this chapter, in this passage, that Abraham uses a similar expression. Abraham was quick to answer. He was quick to respond. He was, if you will this morning, very, very quick to present himself to God. May I suggest for our consideration that that is what God wants of His faithful children. He wants us to present ourselves to Him and He wants us to do it quickly, to be ready whenever he calls to just respond like Abraham did and say, God, Jehovah, Jireh, here I am. Here I am. Be available to God. I thought about other individuals in the Scripture who made similar expression. I thought about Abel and Enoch and others that you might have thought of. Isaiah would be one. Isaiah chapter 6. Here I am. Isaiah said, send me. Others, perhaps, you might think of as well. Joseph, Moses, the patriarchs, Abraham here, Isaac, Jacob, all of those individuals made a similar expression, here I am, presenting themselves to God. You know, it's, it's one thing to to have been rescued by God. To be redeemed by God, perhaps. Or at least to be rescued by God. It's it's one thing to be that way. It's altogether something different than that. To present yourself daily, hourly, moment by moment, for the service of Jehovah-Jireh. We can be, as the fourth chapter of Amos describes, we could be as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. But unless we return, unless we seek Him, unless we turn to God, that firebrand is going to go out. God wants us, even though we've been a firebrand plucked out of the burning, He wants us to be sure to return and present ourselves to Him. Amos chapter 4, verse 11, emphasizes that truth. The Apostle Paul says it this way, as he speaks about presenting ourselves to God. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, God wants us to present ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice. He wants to indwell us, empower us, quicken us, cause us to have vibrancy and vitality in Jesus Christ. Indeed, He does. A living sacrifice presented to Him. I think about individuals like Samuel or Ananias. Other examples of individuals who presented themselves to God and said, Here I am. When we present ourselves to God, when anyone presents themselves to God, he wants us to make a full presentation. No partial presentation will satisfy Jehovah Jireh. We must make a full presentation of ourselves. In other words, that means to hold nothing back. Nothing retained in reserve. It's a little bit like Ananias and Sapphira. Unlike Ananias and Sapphira, I should say. You recall the account of Ananias and Sapphira in the fifth chapter of the book of the Acts. And how they had witnessed individuals like Barnabas who had come. He had sold his houses, his lands, and he had presented the funds to the apostles. Ananias and Sapphira saw that, and so they concocted a plan. That's a dangerous thing to do, concoct a plan. But that's what they did. They concocted a plan, they agreed together that they would give a certain amount of the funds from the sale of the property and pretend as though, pretend as though it was the entire price. And you know how God responded to that. You know what the apostles did? They realized, because God spoke to them, the apostles, they realized that there had been some lying here. And so, as Peter spoke to those two individuals, first one, then the other, he said to them words something like this, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. We must understand that when we make a partial presentation of ourselves in the service of the Master, we're not lying to each other, particularly or especially, but we are lying to God. We are keeping back a part of the price, just like Ananias and Sapphira did on that day. We went to that passage yesterday afternoon in Timothy's, in the Epistle of Timothy, where it speaks about purloining. It's the same Greek word. Purloin and keep back means to retain, means to hold on to something that ought to be given only and solely to God. You'll recall that Ananias and Sapphira did something else, or the Bible describes something else in their conduct. It says that they were privy. Sapphira was privy to what Ananias had previously done. Privy to this. Let me warn as strongly as I can this morning against privy activity. Privy means to be secretive. Privy means to do something in a deceptive manner. And so, they were privy to this activity. There is a tremendous danger in being pretenders. None of us, none of us would want to be a pretender if we could understand in the fullest reality what it really is and what the consequences are to be a pretender. The Bible describes pretenders pretenders in a variety of ways. It was referenced the other afternoon in a conversation that a few of us had. How that one way the Bible emphasizes pretenders is it speaks about individuals who are given to simulation or to dissimulation. To simulate something means to pretend you are something you are not. To dissimulate means to pretend you are not what you are. The result is the same, two different approaches, but it's speaking about the dangers of being pretenders. The Bible speaks about hypocrisy. Same truth being emphasized here. Don't be a hypocrite. I suppose that within the breast of every one of us, there is at least a little bit of a tendency to simply be a hypocrite. But the Bible emphasizes the hazards of hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. I want to just share a little bit of my own experience Because I've recognized since I've been here that there are others who have had a little bit of a similar circumstance in their life. I've heard reference made on a couple of occasions this week to the image of being a certain kind of person. I will say that I was not a good boy. I was not a good young man pre conversion I was not a very ungodly young man. Willingly chose the ways and paths of sin. I'm not proud of that. I regret that. But I'm standing before you for who I am or who I was and I'm not pretending to be otherwise or to have been otherwise. And so I remember what it was like to be a pretender. I remember... Carefully crafting an image. Get your hair so long. Let your beard and mustache grow. Put on dark glasses. And get this pipe that droops from your lips. And things like that. Those are just some of the things. That was just appearance. That wasn't speaking about the conduct. But along with that, there was an attitude that was embraced. An austere austere exterior where it just looked like that that I was an unfeeling individual. That was who I was. And I remember with such great blessing what freedom I found as I came to know the Lord and was converted in Jesus Christ and all of that garbage was laid behind me and left there. I no longer had an image to be crafted. I could be who God wanted me to be. I didn't have to be what I thought I ought to be in the sight of others. That is likely not your circumstance. It's likely not your past. But I just want to say, however Satan can get his hand in there, his fingers, and work with you, and get you to start focusing on yourself and crafting an image, I want you to understand that he's got fertile ground there to work his devious Deceptive work of hypocrisy, simulation, dissimulation, secrecy, us in your lives. The danger of being a pretender. Well, Abraham presented himself to God. He said, here I am. And God spoke to him and he told him what he expected of him. And God said to him, take your son. Take your son. And to make sure there was no misunderstanding, that Abraham wouldn't try to substitute Esau, Ishmael. That he wouldn't try to to substitute Ishmael. God said to him, Thine only son, Isaac. The only one you've got. Take thy son. Thine only son. And lest there be any misunderstanding, He names him and He says, Isaac. And then he describes the affection that Abraham had toward his son. And he said, Whom thou lovest. No way Abraham could get out of that one. No way to avoid it. It was clear and unmistakable what God was requiring of him. Take your son. Take your only son. Take Isaac. Take Isaac who you love. And you go to the land of Moriah... And I'm going to show you a mountain, I paraphrase here. I'm going to show you a mountain, and I want you to offer this son, this only son, Isaac, the Isaac that you love, I want you to offer him there on Mount Moriah. Abraham heard the call. Abraham presented himself to God. But Abraham did more than that. You see, as we go on to the account, we'll understand that Abraham also prepared himself for God. He prepared himself for God. The Bible says in verse 3 that he rose up early in the morning. Early in the morning. In other words, it was as if God's Spirit was speaking to him and say, don't delay, don't demur, don't deliberate. Just get up early in the morning. And he did. He got up early in the morning. He didn't try to negotiate with God. He just did what God said. And he got up early in the morning. We sing a hymn sometimes in our hymn book collection. Go thou in life's fair morning. Go in the bloom of youth. And seek for thine adorning the precious pearl of truth. It's such a blessing to go early in life. To present yourself unlike I did. at the the age of about 24 and a half or 24 and two-thirds years old. It's such a blessing to present yourself before God early in the morning. It's such a blessing to make preparations for the kingdom of heaven early in the morning, early in life, if you will. To do it early. To do it quickly. To do it, even as it were, in the bloom of youth. It's a good approach to life to just get up And get going. And that's what Abraham did. He got up and he got going. It's a good approach to every day of our lives. It's a good approach to have an early hour to arise in the morning. It's a good approach to life. To have an early hour where you find yourself in solitude. In your closet. And you're seeking the face of God on your knees. And with open Bible... And I cannot emphasize the blessing enough of having walked on nearly 35 years living in this manner. A tremendous blessing to just take the Word of God and to just spend time there to allow God to speak to you, to allow God's Spirit to, to impress truths upon my heart, and to be blessed as I've spent time in the Word of God. And I have learned in more recent years... To spend an ample amount of time with the Lord in the morning on my knees in prayer. Don't make it too quick. The length of time I spend won't be the length of time you spend necessarily. But I know just about how it is. I know about what to expect every day as I seek God. I know just about how long He wants to hold on to my ear and and to whisper to me, truths, and wants me to plead with Him. And you'll understand, as the Spirit of God works with you, what God expects out of you as well. Go early in the morning. Get up and get going. You know, I don't know if people think I overemphasize the importance of Bible reading or not. But I want to tell you that I really, really, really em- believe and embrace the blessing of reading the Word of God. And for more than 30 years, it has been my practice to take the Bible, January the 1st, and begin reading in Genesis 1-1, and the 31st day of December to conclude with Revelation twenty two twenty one, 21 And it's been a tremendous blessing. The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all Scripture is profitable. For doctrine, reproof, instruction, correction, correction, instruction, and righteousness, sake, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I would hold that before you as something that you might want to consider to just read through the Bible. Get read it in the order God gave it. And there will be times that you just struggle. I understand that. The other morning, I don't know what morning it was, maybe Sunday morning or Monday morning, I think, perhaps, I read Joshua 15. And there's 115 cities with proper names in that 15th chapter of Joshua. Now, I didn't spend a lot of time counting them, but it tells about how many cities there were in various places, and I just quickly assumed that that was the names that were listed there, and I just added them up in my head, and I think there's 115 names of cities in that 15th chapter of Joshua. And it gets to be a little tedious to try to figure out how to pronounce those names, but there's a blessing in that, because the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all Scripture is profitable. So, take the Word of God. It does various things for us in its work of preparation. One thing it does, it prepares us for enticements. 119th Psalm, verse 11, says like this, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. When we have the Word of God hidden in our heart, Satan can bring all sorts of allurements and enticements. And we're equipped to do battle with him as the Lord empowers us. This Jehovah-Jireh, we're able to respond as Jesus did, our blessed Master. It is written. It is written. It is written. And so, absorbing and feeding upon the Word of God prepares us for enticement it also does something else it prepares us for a state of enrichment 1 peter chapter 2 verse 1 wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies there's that word again and envies and evil speaking Desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We want that kind of taste. We want that lingering, savory taste of the Word of God. That the Lord is gracious in our lives. And so, we feed upon the Word of God. Desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. Being prepared for enrichment. And there's something else. That the Word of God does for us, for us, it prepares us for exhortation. Prepares us for exhortation. Or for sharing with other individuals. I like the verse, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, where it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, that ye may be ready always to give an answer to him who asketh you a reason of the hope that lieth in you. Be ready always. Have the Word of God there. Be ready always. And I'll just say that as I look at that verse, it seems to me that what Peter is saying is that individuals will ask you a reason. We're going to encounter some of that. Tomorrow. And throughout the rest of our lives, individuals will ask a reason. And you know, that's the way unsaved individuals do. They want to know the reason. They want to approach Christianity. They want to approach the witness and the testimony of a disciple of Jesus Christ from a rational reasoning standpoint. And so they'll ask reasons. I think Peter's saying, you don't need to respond primarily with reasons. But what you do need to do, you need to respond with hope. They'll ask you a reason, and you respond with with hope. You show them hope that lies within you. You show them what it means to have a peaceful countenance, to have a clear gaze coming out of your expression. You show them what it means to have joy of heart. And I believe that that will touch more hearts than trying to rational, rationally reason with individuals. At least that's the way it seems to me. I'm not taking away anybody's anybody's approach. I'm just saying that that it doesn't take flowery words. It doesn't take all this reasoned approach to witnessing for the Lord Jesus. What it does take is a joyful countenance and a clear expression coming out of your eyes and a peaceful atmosphere surrounding you. That will do a tremendous amount of work in giving witness for the Lord Jesus. Having the Word of God hidden in our hearts, feeding upon the Word of God, it's a good approach to life to get up and get going. You know, it's already been spoken at perhaps more than once this week about the importance of diligent service. The importance of diligent service. The Bible speaks about individuals who aren't diligent, and it causes them slothful. Individual. It calls them slothful individuals. The sloth or the slothful man. It speaks about them various times. I like an expression that I'm going to probably have to paraphrase this morning, but it's found in the 10th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, verse 18. And it says something like this, By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and the, um, and the roof will collapse. I, I, I made kind of a poor paraphrase there, but, but that's the essence of the truth. If you, if you or I are slothful, if we're slothful in our approach to discipleship, if we're slothful in our embrace to Jehovah-Jireh, this tabernacle that we live in, this witness that we have, this testimony that we ought to have, this house, if you will, the, the house will collapse the roof's going to cave in because of slothfulness. And so beware. The, The application is that that's just speaking about natural buildings. But the application is that we ought to be thinking about the spiritual house in which we live. Be not slothful, brethren. Hebrews 6, verse 12 says, Be not slothful, but followers of them who through... Faith inherited the promises. Don't be slothful, but be followers of those who through faith and patience, I believe it says, inherit the promises. And so we want to be enduring kind of individuals. We want to be individuals who are exercising in faith and patience. We're not in a sprint. This Christian race, we're in an endurance run. We're in a marathon, if you will. I know a little bit about that. I used to do that when I was in high school. I used to run distance. And I know what it was like to have some natural talent and to not exercise in that talent. The beginning of track season, I could be in the top, right up there next to the winners. But as the season wore on and road miles were put in by other individuals, and I failed to exercise in that way, I failed to exercise in what I believe the Bible is speaking about here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, with patience. I began to fall back and drop back and and my finishing times later in the year were, my finishing places later in the year were not like they were early in the year, early in the season. Well, Abraham was, of course, a diligent individual. He was a man with a diligent service. He believed in God. He believed what God promised. He was able to perform. And so, Abraham followed the Lord. Maybe I'll just... Take a little rabbit trail here at this particular juncture. Abraham, of course, heard the call of God. The other day, I, I thought maybe somebody would challenge me on this or pick up on this, and, and maybe, you're, uh, maybe you didn't notice it or whatever, but the other day I said that the children of Israel were in Egypt for 215 years. And I thought surely somebody would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a Bible school, so we're learning about this, okay? Wasn't it 400 years? Wasn't it 430 years? That's the common understanding. Let me, let me ask you to turn with me to the third chapter of Galatians. <coughs> turn to Galatians chapter 3 and look, if you will, at verse 17. Now, we've been reading and thinking about Abraham this morning. Galatians 3, 17 says, This I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it shall make the promise of none effect. What that verse says is that the promise, this is the Abrahamic promise, this is the Abrahamic covenant, the promise preceded the law, which was given at Sinai immediately after the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the promise was given before the law 430 years. In other words, there was a 430 year time span between the time that God came and called Abraham and the time that God descended upon the mountain and caused the mountain to quake and fire and smoke ascended and the people were afraid as they came there to the desert at Sinai. In all fairness... I want you to turn with me to a couple of other, or maybe three other passages of Scripture. First, in Genesis chapter 15. Look at chapter 12 first. The Lord has said unto Abram, this is in chapter 12, verse 1, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing." And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Restated in chapter 15, and in verse 13 of chapter 15, God speaks to Abram, and He says like this. Genesis fifteen thirteen. Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Verse 16, But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. Back to verse 13. Now what is verse 13 saying? Verse 13 is saying that your seed will be a stranger. Let's not read into this something that God doesn't intend for us to have there. He says, Your seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs. And they'll serve them. And your seed is going to be afflicted 400 years. It does not say that they're going to be afflicted in that land that's not theirs 400 years. It simply says they're going to be sojourning, they're going to be a stranger in a land that's not theirs. And they'll serve them there. And they will afflict them 400 years. Third person plural pronoun. You'll find that three times here in this verse. Theirs, they, them. Every time, it means a different group of people. And verse 16, of course, in the fourth generation, they're going to come out. Now, turn to Exodus chapter 15. (coughs) Exodus chapter 15. (coughs) I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 12. It was Genesis 15, Exodus 12. Exodus 12, verse 40. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass, at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out in the land of Egypt. There's that word, hosts. It speaks to us about the armies. Hosts went out of Egypt. Now what does this passage tell us? in relationship to the time in Egypt. It tells us again that the sojourning was 430 years. doesn't say that the sojourning in Egypt was 430 years. It says the sojourning of this people who dwelt in Egypt, they did dwell in Egypt. It says their sojourning was 430 years. One more passage in Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen's defense. As Stephen addressed those, who were accusing him, who had apprehended him, and who ultimately killed him. He says in verse 6 of Acts chapter 7, God spake on this wise, that his seed, this is Abraham's seed, the seed of Abraham, should sojourn in a strange land. They did. They sojourned in a strange land. And that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. It doesn't say who's treating them evil. 400 years. It does not say that it was the Egyptians that were treating them evilly for 400 years. Quickly, I'll just say it this way. You launch out from Galatians 3, and you understand that from the giving of the covenant to the giving of the law was 430 430 years. Now, Abraham was 75 years old when God gave the covenant. Abraham waited 25 years before the birth of Isaac. Start counting. 25 years. Isaac, the Bible says in the book of Genesis, was 60 years old when Jacob was born. 25 and 60. Jacob, you'll recall, was invited to come down into Egypt by his son Joseph. And when Jacob stood before Pharaoh, he said, The days of my pilgrimage have been 130 years. And so Jacob was 130 years old when he went down into Egypt. Now just add 25 and 60 and 130 and you'll come up with a 215 year figure total that had lapsed since the time of the Abrahamic covenant. Take 430 years, subtract 215 years off of that and you have 215 years. 215 years is the length of time that the children of Israel spent in Egypt. You can double-check this. Remember back there in, in Genesis, it spoke about the fact that in the fourth generation, they were going to come out of Egypt. Okay? The fourth generation after, after Abraham. After Jacob. <clears throat> let's, let's see. Let's get this right now. Jacob. Okay? After Jacob, you have one of his sons being Levi. One of the sons of Levi being Kohath. One of the sons of Kohath being Amram. And the sons of Amram were Aaron and Moses. Fourth generation. They went down into Egypt. The days of Jacob. Four generations were there in Egypt. Levi, Kohath, Amram, and Moses and Aaron. They came out of Egypt in the fourth generation. Just a little rabbit trail. (laughs) Well... Abraham prepared himself for God. Not only did Abraham present himself to God and prepare himself for God, but Abraham propelled himself by God. By God. Don't you think it was a difficult journey that Abraham and Isaac embarked on in that day? The Bible says that on the third day, I don't know if this was three days after God spoke to him, or whether it was three days after they began their journey. might have just been the third day after God spoke to him. But Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And here is how Abraham propelled himself. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. And laid it upon Isaac, his son. Verse 6. Genesis 22. Laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went, both of them, together. Heavy heart. No doubt. In Father Abraham. Heavy heart. He took the wood. And he laid it upon Isaac, his son. His only son. The son whom he loved. He laid it upon Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went, both of them together. Both of them together, father and son. I'm sure that Abraham's head was bowed. His shoulders sagged as he thought about the task that lay ahead of him. Just one son took him by the hand. They began the trek up Mount Moriah. I suppose, I think that we all understand that it must have been so that Abraham must have had to force himself against his will or to propel himself, if you will, this morning up that mountain. I know what it's like to have a son. I've got one son, and I can't imagine what it would be like to take that son by the hand and begin to walk knowing what God was expecting me to do when I got there. The hard walk of sacrifice... The walk of sacrifice is a hard walk by times. Indeed it is. But I want to emphasize that nothing is too hard when God is there. Nothing is too hard when God is there. God had spoken to Abraham before this time when God made the promise about the Son. And God, asked, God stated to Abraham, He said like this, Is anything too hard for me? And the understanding is clear that nothing is too hard for God. Nothing, nothing is too hard for God and nothing is too hard for the man or woman who will walk with God. Jehovah Jireh. Nothing is too hard when God is there. God told Abraham back in the 18th chapter of Genesis, He said, I will return unto thee. I will return unto thee. Abraham believed that. He knew that when God said he would return, that God would return. And God told Abraham more than that. He said, it will be at the appointed time. It will be at the appointed time. It's at the appointed time that God works. It's at the appointed time that God returns. It's at the appointed time that God calls. It's at the appointed time that God gives you strength to propel yourself with Him in His service. It was when the Israelites dipped their toes in the waters of the river that the waters were dried up. It wasn't before them. And it wasn't after they got in knee deep. It was when their toes hit the water that the waters were dried up and they walked dry shod through the water. At the appointed time. In the fullness of time, the Bible says, God sent forth His Son not a moment too early Not a day, not an hour, not a moment too early, but at the appointed time, at the right time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Abraham propelling himself. God was there. Abraham knew that. The psalmist speaks about that. And he says that God is our refuge and strength. In Psalm 46, verse 1, a very present help in trouble. When we have trials and difficulties, we must understand that Jehovah Jireh is there. He's a very present help in time of trouble. I, I'll just give another quick illustration about personal testimony. This, uh, this image that I had crafted... <coughs> There was a reason for that. And the reason for that was that I was a very insecure individual. I didn't, know it. I didn't want anybody to know that. I was a very insecure individual. I remember as a young man walking in church with my head down and just afraid that to look up because somebody would be looking at me. I just dreaded to go in church because I knew that somebody would be looking at me. And, and so it was very difficult to be in public gatherings. I remember at the age of almost 20 being invited to, to drive A minister who was unable to drive because of a heart attack he had suffered, and to drive him to the state of Ohio and go to a love feast there. And I said I would do that. I was almost 20 years old, and and so I went there unconverted. But I went there on that occasion, and as a 20 year old man, I was so frightened that I refused to get out of the vehicle the entire weekend. I sat there in the vehicle because I was too afraid to walk into the meeting house. Now perhaps most of you can't understand the kind of fears that grip an individual like that but that's just who I was. I remember even after conversion, brother Merle I'm just going to pick on you a little bit. <laughs> I remember after conversion, Merle and I grew up close together. We're nearly the same age. And and uh, so we had lots of opportunities to interact through the years and and even after conversion these, this fear of being noticed just just had its grip on me, and and so I remember just delighting to be in Merle and Judy's presence, and it was just a blessing to be there. And uh, but I was always fearful because Merle's a pretty direct person, and and you know maybe he's mellowed some through the years. I don't, or maybe I'm just gotten used to it, or something else has happened. I don't know, but. But, uh, but he can be pretty direct and pretty probing. And, and when he fixes his gaze on you and begins to ask you one of those probing questions, it caused me to quake inside. It really did. Brother John Rumble's another one that was the same way. You know, I just, I delighted to be in their presence. But I was fearful. I was fearful. I was afraid. I just was afraid to be noticed. And, and so, I can say that That if you've got a fear like that or some other fear that might be an irrational fear. If you've got a fear like that, God can deal and give you victory over those kinds of fears. He will. He can. He will. He wants to. If you let Him do that. I can stand up here this morning and my knees haven't quivered. I'm not nervous in your presence. I want you to look. This way, because I'm wanting to communicate to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not afraid. And the only reason is, is because God took that fear away and I don't have to deal with it. It's not a talent that I have to stand up here and to say to you that I'm not in the least bit nervous. It's not a talent. Now, I don't want to say that it's not a weighty thing to handle the Word of God. It is a weighty responsibility. But I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. It's not talent that enables me to do this. It's something else. It's a gift. And we ought to understand there's a distinct difference between spiritual gifts and talents, natural talents. That's all I'll say about that. Abraham propelled himself by God. He went the way God wanted him to go. So, as we come to the conclusion of this message this morning, I want to say this, that we really haven't addressed very directly Jehovah-Jireh. But you understand that God provided Himself for Abraham. You can go on and read in this passage, and I'll just read a couple of verses here. Isaac spake to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide Himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Now look this way. What did that 8th verse say? What did that 8th verse say? God Himself will provide a lamb. Is that what it said? No. It did not say God Himself will provide a lamb. It said that God will provide Himself a lamb. God will provide Himself. That's exactly what He did. Jehovah-Jireh provided Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. We said it together, those of you on this side of the room this morning, we said it together yesterday afternoon, that taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist proclaimed that message. The lamb of God. God will provide himself. God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jehovah Jireh, the provision of God in Jesus Christ. God will provide himself a lamb, and he did. Of course, we can't remove the truth that God also provided a ram. It wasn't a lamb, but it was a ram who was caught there in the thicket by the horns of his head, and Abraham offered that sacrifice as he called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. There's so much that I wanted to say about the provisions, the provisions of God Himself for Abraham. But I, I believe that your Bible readers are enough to understand that God provided miraculously for Abraham. God provided miraculously for His earthly descendants. God has provided miraculously for His descendants by faith. And God is providing Jehovah Jireh, is providing for us day by day as we continue our journey in life. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide.